stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I'm Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Those that watched this woman grow up knew she was destined to be a leader. She's at the forefront of all activities in school. But as she grew into an adult, she at times felt so overwhelmed and decided that all she had to do was survive. But even in surviving, losing was never an option. In college, she pursued a business degree and realized believing in herself was paramount to her success. Her focus was always to move forward and never whine. And as her career unfolded, she became a C-suite executive in human resources for large corporations. Today, she serves on several corporate boards and operates a human capital consulting company. And it is my great pleasure to introduce you to Mara Swan. Hi, Mara. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Annette. It's great to be with another one of the world's greatest women. Thank you. And we have such a little time together. So I've got so much I want to go over with you and talk about. So I'm going to jump right on in. So you realized as a young person that how you viewed yourself would determine your future. So what is your internal talk these days that keeps your self-image strong? Oh, wow. I just always think about, um, you know, I can do it. Um, I'm great. Why not? Always thinking about, you know, positive thoughts. I, I, I never, I think one of the things age has helped with is not questioning. Can I do it? Just being more affirmative about, yes, I can. And I think it's important. And does, do you find even at all these years of, serving in these powerful roles, do you find that self-doubt does still creep in for you? I think where it was a change for me was I used to feel bad about, get anxious about self-doubt. But I think when you channel self-doubt, it actually helps performance because people who think they're awesome sometimes really aren't awesome because they're not, they don't have that self-doubt. And I learned this from listening to actors because a lot of actors will say, you know, went to acting class and they'll say, I have a lot of self-doubt, but it is to put that energy forward when you're presenting and, and when you're putting your ideas forward. And so I think it's actually helped me, but once I changed my mindset that it was something that actually could help me versus, um, you know, keep me back. I think when you think of self-doubt as keeping you back, then I do think it helps you, it prevents you from moving forward. So I'm going to stay with this for a little bit longer because I think self-doubt is something that even very competent, uh, obviously, competent women like you and I that are that have achieved so much in our careers, that even us, self-doubt creeps in. So we know that it certainly creeps in for other women as well. Do you think men also struggle with self-doubt or do you think this is more of a, a woman's curse? I think they do. They just don't talk about it. We talk about it and maybe we have a little bit more, but I think because we always are going against the grain, you know, it's not our world. It's a man's world. So you always, you know, you don't see the world the same as them. So when they say certain things, you're always like, do I have a good idea or am I off base? And what I found was what helped me, particularly being a woman, mostly working with men was that was my competitive advantage because I did see the world differently. And I would, you know, as long as I didn't let that self-doubt stop me from coming forward and say what my ideas were and what my thoughts were. And even when I got tamped down by them, like that's stupid, just keep moving forward with that. I think it really actually helped me. And it's so funny. It was just on a board meeting this past week. And what I'm like, 
wow, girl, you'll just say anything. (laughs) And I could see all the men because we went around the table and they all said the same exact thing. And I was like, well, that's not how I feel. This is what I, this is what I've observed. And I think the CEO came up to me afterwards and he said, Mario, you're the only person that added any value. I'm going to stay with this a little bit longer because I think this is such a juicy place that you have so much wisdom. And you you talk about taking self-doubt and turning it into something that propels you as opposed to making it an internal battle. Because Mm -hmm. when you when you turn it into an internal battle, it stops you. It it drains your energy. You lose sleep. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is there a particular trick that you've used to make that mindset switch? Is there something we can tell our listeners when they feel that they can keep themselves from going down that rabbit hole? I think there's a couple of things. I remember being like, I can remember being really young and like being really freaked out and shutting my office door and just hyperventilating. Like, oh my God, am I going to be able to do this? I can't believe they gave this to me. And you know what? I finally just, you know what helped? I will tell you two things. Help me sound weird for those who've had babies. But I did the breathing that you were taught when you went through labor and it just really calmed my mind. And that I realized, hey, I gave birth. I can do pretty much anything. And so I just really just kind of focused. And then I would tell myself, I would just say positive, nice things about myself. And so one of the things I try to change in my brain, anytime I said, Mara, you can't do this. I would always say, Mara, why not? And I would always like, and I actually talked to myself with my name, which is kind of probably a little weird, but it really helped me I think channel and move forward, which I wouldn't normally, instead of just being bogged down, because I think when you're in self-doubt, you just kind of go in a bad doom loop and it makes you feel worse and you doubt yourself more. I'd say what people are looking for today is new ideas and innovation. So thinking differently is a positive, I think a positive thing. And when you're nervous, you just need to channel that energy and into moving forward. And and I'd like for everyone to to recognize something that I learned years ago and that, that our mind lies to us. Yes. It's constantly lying to us. So I just heard something that you said that reminded me of that and that you challenge what your mind is saying to you, that mm-hmm. you say things like, now, is that really true? Well, yeah. come on, Mara, this that's not, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're confident. What are you thinking that? Yeah. And, um, and have that kind of conversation with yourself. It's like being your own coach, like sports. I learned that I did play sports. And, and if you play sports, you're like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to make this free throw. Everybody's watching me. And you have to teach yourself. Yes, I am. And you have to think really positively. And I think it's like you have to have a little person sitting on your shoulder and that person's got to be you. So for a woman to step into a big role, some of the big roles like you have stepped in through your career, what have you found she has to give up? I think you have to make a conscious decision. Otherwise, you're very upset. I made a conscious decision. I knew when I started taking on bigger roles, I wasn't going to do as much volunteer work. I did some, but I didn't do as much. I didn't go to every one of my children's events. I didn't do some of these things. And and I think you have to be okay with that um, because even if you watch, you know, men, they give up a lot too, right? You just... You just have to figure out, is it worth it? And if it's worth it, then you you don't mind. And I think my mother gave me the best advice. And she told me when I had my first child, do what you makes you happy and your children will be fine. And I was like, hmm, because my mother was a housewife and wasn't happy with being a housewife. It was just, I think it freed me to focus on what I really like to do. And um, yeah, but I think one thing you don't want to give up is a relationship if you're married or or have a, a partner or have children, you still have to. So I, I got my life down to pretty simple things, my family and my work. And that's what I focused on. So yeah. I, you mentioned to me when we had a previous conversation that you had had two children and you obviously were able to raise 
functioning adults yep. that uh, and have a demanding and successful career. So if you look back, what would you say is the one thing that made it all work? Well, I'm married. So I think the, the number one thing was my strong relationship with my spouse and us being clear about who was doing what. I didn't take on all the duties at the home and this big job. I, that's, not, that's not possible. And I don't believe. And so you either have to outsource it to somebody or you have to have some uh, conversation with your partner. And my, my partner ended up taking more of the home stuff. Um, than you know how we initially thought it was going to work, but you have to have those kind of conversations and and divvy it up. I, I, what I see a lot of times is women take both on, and that's just a recipe I think for disaster, physical and mental disaster, in my mind. So in that space, I uh, one of the ways I would frame that is is boundaries. Women have to learn what their boundaries are. Actually, and that that's probably probably one of the most important things you can help as a woman understanding your boundaries. Boundaries in your relationship with your with your partner or whoever it is, your loved one in your life, even boundaries with your children. Um, you know, I negotiated with my kids, okay, what events are important to you? Those are the ones I'll be at. This, I'm not going to be at every one of these things. And they were cool, they were cool with it because it was negotiated. And, right, and you had the discussion. Yeah, it wasn't like they were thinking I was going to do X and I did Y and then they're mad at me. We actually had a big discussion. So I think that's probably one of the things I learned because, you know, I was raised to be a housewife. So, you know, I was supposed to do everything. So boundaries um, were something I I had to learn. And I think it does come from discussion. So from a woman executive perspective, what do you see is the main difference between men and women executives? Hmm. I hate to, you know, generalize, but I guess I have seen a few things. I think what's hard, which I, in some ways I feel sorry for men because in a lot of ways they're very afraid to break from the pack because they have a pack. We don't have a pack and they don't break away from the pack. So they just say, they just repeat what everybody else says. It's hard for them to differentiate themselves. I think, um, I think women are more willing to be, you know, when you think of who's been whistleblowers, who's come up with right ideas and companies, it's usually, you know, women because they're willing to think outside the box. I think that, and I would say one thing that's been proven um, on a factual basis, women do possess more empathy than men. And I think in leadership today, empathy is more needed than ever, particularly post-COVID. And women um, definitely have that in spades. And so I think that is very different. I'd say in general, not always, but in general, women tend to be much more uh, less authoritative leaders, more collaborative leaders. And I think that's needed in today's environment. I think some of the younger men are coming up the same way in, in that area. But overall, that would be what I see the most of the differences. So you brought up something that I was was going to ask you about a little bit later in the interview, but I'm going to stay with it now. And that's this empathy piece. Do you see uh, a way that men who were basically running most of the corporations in our world. Do you see a way for a woman to sell that piece of herself that will make a significant impact on the bottom line? Yeah, I think we saw it during COVID. I think all women are like, like had to step up because the guys are like, what, we got to deal with the feelings of employees? I mean, what do you mean we got to know about their home lives? And so I, I think it actually came out. COVID was like, I think, one of the great equalizers of leadership because I think men had to up their empathy or they were left out. Um, and I think it was okay. And a lot of those conversations from what I re- um, have heard from my friends and myself experienced is women were leading those conversations. What are we going to do to care for the mental health of our employees? What are we going to do to make sure that they have a balance between their work life and their and, and their home life now that they're on 24-7 Zooms? And I think... Um, men started to realize this was really important. And I think that there were some of them that were really struggling because it didn't really 
So they were following the lead of a lot of the more caring leaders in the company. So yeah, I think so. And I think right now, given where we are with employees realizing, hey, it's a different game. I'm not going to put up with these old rules. I think men are having to learn that. And I think women are helping them do that from the, the, the companies I've worked with. That's what I've seen. Right. Well, it's interesting because I feel like it's forced them to care. Yes. And yes, they, yes, didn't, yes. they didn't care before and no. because it didn't, it didn't impact them. But yeah. now they're being forced to care. And yes. that's very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think what's really different in that is the companies that didn't have women on their leadership teams or on their boards, they struggled more. I agree. I've seen the same thing, Mara. I've seen the same thing. So let's talk about sense of humor for a second, because it, it is a key as far as I'm concerned. And I know you share my sentiment that women excelling in business have got to have a sense of humor. So what would you uh, give as advice to how a woman can use humor in business dealings to minimize the pushback from men? Oh, yes. You know, when I gave feedback, I think early on until I built a really good relationship and I'm going to be very direct, I would always give the feedback in a sense of humor, like, whoa, well, oh, that's what you know, or even things like, you know, when people take your idea, you say something and they repeat it. And then somebody's, oh, great job. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you love my idea. You know, I would (laughs) smile (laughs) and smile and laugh. You know what I mean? And then they get the point. But if you say it like, hey, that was my idea, men get kind of like upset. So I always had a sense when I gave, particularly when you're giving feedback or when you're saying something that, you know, you know, they're not going to like. And I think in general, I did that because I looked around the room, which I worked with all men and men tend to, when they give feedback to other men, do it in a sense of humor. You know what I mean? Oh, it's, it's a never, ribbing. It's a ribbing type thing. It's a ribbing yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that's a good word for it, ribbing. And I think I learned that. And I know I have a lot of, you know, women, friends who are executives and the ones who don't have that really struggle. Like I just had a woman call me yesterday and she's talking to me about this thing with these men. I'm like, oh my God, just give it back to him, girl. Why are you taking that personal? And I, what I see is she's just taking it personal and she's actually getting physically ill because mm-hmm. she's like, oh my God. And then she's after that, somebody knows, should I ask him if I did, a, you know, something? really bad. I'm like, no, 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 no. Do not give your power to them. You know? And so I think um, there's two things I really learned working with men, which is really understand power and really understand how to use humor. Brilliantly said. And I agree 100%. I am in the middle of a, um, a, a large negotiation on a business deal for a client right now, and I'm leading the whole thing. And it's been interesting because the whole team that I'm negotiating with is all men. And of and there's five attorneys involved most of the time in the meetings, which is, of course, they're all about managing risk and and yeah. the, the executives have their own personal agenda and their egos associated with it. And it has the way I have maneuvered that landscape is is humor. Yeah, is, is, is making making, you know, a, a, a joke about. The, the, the attorney is not being able to get out of their way and they're going to kill the deal and, you know, for gosh sakes, get off of it and, and yeah. saying it and laughing with a smile, because otherwise, if I was a bitch about it, yes, it would be it would it would stop the whole negotiation. It really you would. wouldn't move people. You wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's interesting because I started in labor negotiations. And so this is one thing I learned in labor negotiations There's a lot that can be done with a smile and a laugh. And it can be, on a, you know, you can give the feedback. They get it, but it lands in a soft way. And I have to say, I think it's an underused skill. I think it is too. And I think that women feel they need to be uh, show up as this 
strong, ironclad, cold being. And uh, the unfortunate part of that, because I think they think there's power in that. The unfortunate part of that is because it is a man's world, uh, they are not expecting that from a woman. They relate a woman in the business world to how they see their woman at home. Yeah. So they're expecting something softer and prettier and non-confrontational and all those things. So you have to be able to make your point and move things without being against what they expect. And I found humor is the key. Yeah. And I also think that's a good point you said, because I do think it's something we don't think about, but most men's relationship with women is with the person that's significant in their life, either their mother, sister, or, you know, a loved one. And I always thought, I don't want to be any one of those. You know what I mean? Mother tells you, no, 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 don't do that with a finger. You know what I mean? Some wives, they feel like they're always complaining to them or something and wanting something from them. So I always kind of thought about what do I want to be? It's really, I want to be a colleague. And the best way to be a colleague is to be in more of a buddy kind of model. And so part of that comes from ribbing people and, you know, having a good sense of humor and being collegial. But if you fall into the like complaint, they start to categorize you in that model. Yes, they do. It's not a good place to be. Well, it stops progress. Is yeah. what happens. And as I was sharing with someone, at, I just did a presentation. I think I was sharing you for the LPGA mm-hmm. thing. And, and the interesting thing, I was talking to them about how you communicate with men. And when you go into that framework of complaining and whining and being cold, mm-hmm. all, they shut you out and all they hear is blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. There's like, it's like, nee, 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 nee. right. I, exactly. I know this because men would tell, talk to me all the time about women that couldn't stand it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I hope I'm not one of those. <laughs> but then I have, then I have them call me like, I have to interact with this woman. Now, Mara, what should I be doing? And you're like, oh my God, they have a conflict with a woman at work. And they're like, well, what should I be doing? I'm like, okay. But I mean, so then I always felt like I'm in this middle. Right, 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 <laughs> right. For the other gender. You know? I'm putting both worlds type of yeah, thing. Exactly. So all humans desire respect and love. But you mentioned that you see it show up differently for men versus women. So what is the difference between respect and love for women? And does this difference hurt or help women in the business world? Um, I think if you're seeking love at work, that's a problem. Because, I mean, you might eventually get it. But I never really focused on wanting to be loved. I I wanted to be focused on um, being respected so I could move forward. If they loved me as as a result, that'd be great. I mean, that's a great outcome. But is is the mistake I see people all the time. And as I said, I was just talking to this woman yesterday. She's like, oh, but he doesn't like me. And I'm like, who cares? Um, You know, and I just, it's, you know, we were just taught to be nice girls and make sure people love us and they were sweet. And you really have to give that up at work. You have to think more like, how do I get respect? And you get respect in some way of under getting results, obviously, but I think understanding power, I mean, you know, it isn't about them loving me. I want my husband to love me. I don't need my male colleagues to love me though. I do think they do love, they did love. <laughs> How could they not? Right. <laughs> but, but I think it's, it's really an important thing to think about because I think we're so taught to focus on love, get the you know, man in your life, have your children love you. So we, we are over indexed on love is women. You know what I mean? Whereas men are under indexed on love. And um, I just think it's, it's an important thing to think about. How do I go and be respected and how you're respected lots of times, at least from, you know, they're on male rules, I think. And, but lots of times it's like, get something done, take a stand when you need to stand down when you should. I mean, these are the things where you get respect, right? Because people start to realize you're not a pushover, but you're not going to be somebody who's, you know, 
intransient, never moves. Um, you know, sometimes you have to give up on things that maybe, you know, they're important to you, but they're not the most important thing. And I think those are the things where you start to get respect. And, and it's an important thing when, as you're, particularly as you move up in organizations, to be thinking about respect. And the lower you're down, it comes from good work. Um, and getting stuff done. And then as it gets up, it's more about how you influence people and how you understand that balance between give and take, I think. So on the love thing, I, I have a couple of um, uh, comments that I want to share with you that I want you to reflect back to me. Okay. So, yeah. you know, on, on the, you're talking about that we're overloved on the index side. The, I even think about when, when we encourage women to do self-care, mm-hmm. we talk about loving yourself. When we talk about men doing self-care, we don't talk about you need to love yourself. When you say, hey, man, you need to take care of yourself. Right. So it, it's, it, that's an interesting dichotomy it's, that I see. Oh, well, um, it is. Yeah, it is. And then, and then another thing that I'd be curious to have your take on is this, um, how we confuse uh, love in the workplace with in, in being included. Yes. It's oh. a messy one, isn't it? It's a messy one because I honestly have to tell you, I still feel that sometimes. I know I do too. That's why I'm bringing it up because I, I, if we're feeling, and I know that people listening, a whole bunch of people are feeling it. I just like I told you, it's in this board meeting and it's all men. There's one other woman, but um, she's an expert in something. And, and they were all having a little chat. And I just felt for a minute, like I was excluded. And I was like, oh God, little Mara, why is this bothering you? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think here's what I focus on because people have relationships and whatever. What I don't want to be excluded on, and this is where I got clearer in myself. I don't want to be excluded in information I need to do my job. I don't want to be excluded in things I need to know that gives me perspective and context for my job. But if you know somebody wants to go over and have a chit chat and I'm not included in the chit chat, or they want to go to lunch and I don't know the chit chat, I, I don't really care. And I have to really tell myself that because sometimes you do, you have this little person feeling, you know, in your heart and you're like, oh, I wish I was included. And um, what's wrong with me? I know, but sometimes I think it isn't anything to do with that. It just, it surprised me. This came out of nowhere the other day. I'm like, oh my God, Mara, why are you even thinking like this? But I think we're so ingrained in like playground behavior, which is being included you know, in the chit chat, when you were a girl, you know, if you were all over by the swing set, you know, you all had to be included. If you weren't, you feel bad about yourself. So I think it's, you know, I think the line is mostly, are you not being, you're consistently not being included. There's a problem and you have to figure out what the answer is. If you're being excluded on the inside skinny that you need to perform, then you need to think about why that's happening. Is it happening because of you or is it happening because of the people around you and you have to be more uh, assertive about what you need in order to right. get your job. Or you don't have the respect that you think you have. Or they don't respect you because it could be something really right. to you. You just need to find out why that is. And um, and then I think sometimes you just like, lots of times what I'll do is I just walk right on over there and insert myself in the group. <laughs> I've done that too. And I love to watch their body language. <laughs> Another power move. Exactly. So uh, I have two more brief questions. So driven women are also very responsible women, almost to a fault. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned this a little bit earlier that women take responsibility when it's not theirs. How do we stop doing this? Oh my God. That is like another one. That's such a good thing to remind me. I, I always think of it this way. And this is how, whenever I've coached anybody else or myself, it's like, you know, you, when you're racing, you have the baton and you hand it over to somebody. I have to actually, in my mind, when somebody gives me work, should I be taking the baton or should I not be taking the baton? 
And, you know, there's things that still happen today with, like, for example, a good example, I was in this meeting the other day and I saw the, the other woman in the meeting, the older person think that um, she's supposed to, was handing out the books and she's supposed to do it. And she's like, and her first thing was she handed the baton back. She's like, hey, no, I'm not in charge of the books. That was the admin. And if you want to return it, just, you know, do this or that. Or, you know, I've had a friend like, oh, go do this work. And I'm, and you say, is it your work or is it their work? And I think it's a really important piece. Like lots of times we want to be helpers and be included. Mm. So we'll do stuff that actually decreases our power. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, you want me to go fetch you? I'm like, no. And you don't want to be whatever about it, but it's like, you know, I would, that's where I'd use humor. Oh, well, when I want a cup of coffee, I'll be asking you tomorrow, you know what I mean? Or something like that, you know? And I do think you have to visualize it because we're so used to cleaning up after everyone. We're, we're socializing and cleaning up after everyone and doing all the work, like taking the notes, doing this, doing that, taking on the project, taking extra stuff without getting money. You know, I learned from men, they always negotiate from women. We wait to be good girls and do it. And somebody's going to reward us guys. Oh, you want me to take that extra project on? What am I getting? Am I getting a title? Am I getting money? Am I going to get, what am I going to get? They never do the work first. <laughs> Boy, I learned that at an early age. Yeah, I, I didn't learn it at an early age, but I sure learned it along the way for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then my last question is you serve on several corporate boards. What mm -hmm. advice would you give to other women looking to do the same? Oh, yeah, I think think early. So one of the things I've been trying to tell women is um, what used to happen is you, they wanted people, you know, uh, we'll use it gray haired, experienced people, but it, because of technology, they're wanting much younger people today. So if you want to be on a board, you don't need to start thinking about it in your early 40s or even earlier if you can, and, and uh, because they're looking for people younger. And a lot of you've got to look at what experience do they want? They want people who have experience with governance, you know, financial controls, run a business. And so if you want to be on a board, you have to have, well, preferably all three of those. But if you don't, at least some of that. And so you have to look at what they hire for. It's not just having, you know, good judgment, a lot of good experience, whatever. It's having that kind of um, knowledge. And I think what happens, a lot of women wait until they're like very far in their career into their you know mid fifties and thinking about retirement and they've been in more administrative roles and haven't done broad things, governance, worked with boards, maybe done a nonprofit board, done, you know, maybe even worked for a family board. And then they're, they're screwed. Basically they're not going to get one. And it's right now it's, it's a great time to be a woman who's looking for a board, but they still, you still need the experience. So that's what I would tell people. Start early, start networking, broaden your network is really important because most jobs come from a network. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mara, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Because we've talked about a lot of things. <laughs> um, you know, I guess the only thing I would say is one of the things for me is pick your path and be okay with it. Um, you know, a couple of times I felt like I got stirred away from my path because, oh, there's like the dot com came. Should I go run over and do that? And or should I go run over and do that? And I think what I kept telling myself, I had been very clear. I wanted a really responsible job where I was continuing to learn, but one that also allowed me to be a mother and do the kind of work I didn't want to be, you know, flying around the world doing this and that. I did end up flying around the world once my kids were raised, but um, I didn't want to move my children a lot. So I passed up a lot of opportunities, but that as long as you tell yourself that's and you have it written down, you don't feel pulled by other people to do things that you don't want to do. Um, I think that's really important. And it's helped me, it helped me a lot to make decisions because when you're really ambitious and you're really driven, you have lots of opportunity, but you should have opportunity that helps you be the person that you want to be and the leader you want to be, not 
not what somebody else wants you to be. Because let's face it, if you're good, somebody's always trying to sell you something. And when you get pulled off that path, it, mm-hmm. it does unsettle you, doesn't it? It does. And I, I, I've felt it a few times. And luckily, my husband's, you know, not, doesn't have the same personality as me. <laughs> okay, you could do that. But just because you can, should you? And Why? Right. What's the why? That guided me very well to sit back and say, okay, I can do that. Check. Do I want to do it? No. And then be okay with it. And even when other people, you know, criticize you for not having done it, whatever. But it turned out great for me, so... Mara, you have been so forthright with so many of your nuggets of wisdom, and I appreciate you taking time to come and share that with the, our listeners. Um, I know it was it, we had a little hard time getting together with yeah. losing your voice and a variety of things, but I'm yeah. so grateful that we were able to make this happen. Well, thank you, Nat, and I hope that the listeners, um, you know, get something from it. But anyways, if we can ever help you, we hope you all become your great selves that you are all capable of being as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Mara is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the world's greatest women show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. <laughs>